This interview was conducted on Friday, June 16, 2017, hours after the verdict was announced in the Michelle Carter texting suicide case in Massachusetts. Welcome to another episode of Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras. Karis on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. And as always, I welcome your feedback, your questions, and your ideas. You can post them on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras, and my Facebook page is my name, also Beth Karras. So today, I'm really delighted to speak to a reporter who has been following a trial closely in the courtroom. It came to an end today. Well, there's still one more day coming up, but I'm talking about the trial of Michelle Carter, the 20-year-old Massachusetts woman who was on trial for texting and encouraging her boyfriend to commit suicide. So the reporter who is joining me today is Kurt Brown. He's a writer for the Standard Times, a newspaper in New Bedford, Massachusetts, my home state of Massachusetts. And Kurt has been very kind with his time, very generous. I introduced myself to him through an email as a sort of a cold introduction to see if he would talk to me and communicate with me throughout this trial, and he did. He's been very generous. So welcome, Kurt. Thank you, and welcome to you, and thank you very much for having me. Well, you know, I am so excited to hear your take on what you observed throughout the trial of Michelle Carter. Now, let's talk about, first of all, what happened today, the end of the trial. So what happened today was that the the judge announced uh, late yesterday afternoon that he was going to be announcing his verdict uh, today at uh, 11 a.m., the um, court, the juvenile court, this is the adult session of Bristol County Juvenile Court. Uh, Michelle Carter was 17 years old, but it's important to distinguish that she is, he, she was tried as an adult and she is facing adult penalties. So the judge uh, said that he broke the evidence into three sections. He brought it, broke it into a section uh, and the important time is July 13th, 2014. He said that he broke the evidence up to a period of approximately June 28th, 2014 to June 12th, 2014. And then he, he looked at the evidence and broke it into another period um, just on the day of the of the victim Conrad Roy the Third's suicide, June thirteenth, two thousand and fourteen, and then lastly he said he looked at all the other evidence. So he then began with the first uh, uh, collection of evidence that he had, and he said that I find that the government proved. Uh, uh, its case of wanton and recklessness. Those are the two elements that you have to prove to um, uh, support a conviction of involuntary manslaughter in Massachusetts. But he says, I don't find the causation here. Which is what threw a lot of people off, because I'm thinking, oh, is that yeah. an element too? And, and it seemed like she was going to get off. And, and, and I, I was in the... Um, jury, uh, I was in the uh, media room, and several members of the media started saying, oh my God, she, uh, she's going to be found not guilty. And I immediately looked at the monitor, and uh, Michelle Carter started crying. I believe those were cries of relief. 
uh, her attorney, Joseph Cataldo, put his hand on her shoulder. It was a very touching, very emotional moment, and he was supporting her. But you can see, I mean, he was he was bordering on excitement. It looked like he was ready to burst out of him. But then the judge changed his tone entirely, and he looked at the evidence on just on July 13th, 2014. And he, he made that the linchpin of this case. He said that um, um, the victim, Conrad Roy III, uh, gave the number of his mother and his sister to uh, Michelle Carter, their phone numbers. So she had them. He went, the judge went step by step by step. The judge is uh, Lawrence Monis, who's coming to the end of his career. He said that uh, Michelle Carter knew, knew the location, and that's an important distinction. She knew the exact location where he was uh, in his vehicle. Uh, he was in a uh, parking lot for a former Kmart um, in Fairhaven, one word, Massachusetts. She knew he was there. Um, the um, I'm trying to think what else. So and then, at some point, the judge said that Mr. Roy got out of his um, uh, truck and um, <clears throat> where the um, uh, jet, where the water pump was. Uh, was running. Uh, it was spilling uh, carbon monoxide in the air. I'm trying to. Go, I'm going through my notes here. He said that uh, he got out of that toxic environment, and then she says, "Get back in the vehicle. Get back in the truck." And he follows her instructions. Uh, then at that point, uh, the judge said that Michelle Carter. Uh, heard Conrad Roy coughing. She knew because of their prior conversations that it would only take um, uh, 15 minutes for him to lose conscience, consciousness. She remained on the phone with him throughout this whole time, and she never called anyone. The judge determined that her behavior in this instance was uh, wanton and reckless, reckless, and that her actions uh, caused the death of Conrad Roy. She knew that there was a high, deg high degree of likelihood that uh, Roy would cause himself self-harm. Like I said, uh, she could hear him uh, coughing. Um, and so he said it was her action and her failure to act. So it was her that failure is to call. Correct. Right. He said that uh, Michelle Carter took no, no action, and she admits doing nothing in, uh, in text messages to her friends. Um, she didn't call uh, his, uh, his family, she, and she knew where he was. She could have given them a location. She could have called the police and given them a loca location. Uh, she didn't notify his mother or sister, and the judge made a... Um, a a very short gave a very short quote. He said she called no one, and then. 
And then he says, I believe that uh, these actions uh, prove, uh, and the government has proved this case beyond a reasonable doubt. They constitute wanton and reckless behavior, and it caused his death. He went one step further in addressing the other evidence. He, the defense called a, um, a medical expert uh, to testify. The medical expert testified that um, Michelle Carter suffered what he called an involuntary um, intoxication from uh, prescription drugs that she was taking. Um, especially Selexa. Uh, Michelle Carter, according to testimony, um, is anorexic. Uh, she has, she's a cutter. Uh, she has uh, cut herself on numerous times. She's uh, mentioned to uh, friends, uh, high school friends of hers, that uh, there are times when she feels she cut herself uh, too deeply. Friends of hers uh, uh, watched out for her, complained about her eating habits, uh, said that uh, she can't have just a diet of fruit. Um, so the um, medical expert testified about this, and he now let's go back to the dates. The date of Conrad's Roy's suicide was July thirteenth, two thousand and fourteen. The medical expert testified that it started July 2nd, uh, 2014. That's when he says she lost all control and then changed from this woman who was trying to help Conrad, Conrad Roy, direct him into services, even uh, offering him, uh, even telling him that she would go with him to get help. They would go together. Um, he resisted all this, but she was trying and trying. Well, uh, at some point, she be goes from being the angel to a devil, so to speak. And uh, she then begins to encourage him to take his own life. And the medical expert said that began July 2nd, 2014, 11 days before he did it. He says it continues through the entire month of July. So the judge, in his comments today, he said that um, the testimony of the medical expert uh, doesn't mitigate uh, his view of the case at all. And further, he finds the medical expert to not be credible. Uh, so did, did the uh, Commonwealth he, have somebody to rebut that medical expert? They did not. They uh, based their... Um, their plan was to discredit them. Um, I was in the courtroom f uh, for the entire day and a half, and, I mean, he made convincing arguments, but part of it was that he was the only medical expert to testify. Um, one of the significant things that he talked about was the effects of prescription drugs on an adolescent uh, brain. Um, it says it's not. He said it's not the same as an adult brain, uh, and he said the other thing is that um, Michelle Carter has a dysfunctional kidney, so the drugs would not uh, dissipate through her system uh, fast enough; uh, they would linger. Um, 
so he collected, he combined all these things together, and he said that this, in his opinion, was the reason that she just lost it. She lost control, she became irritable, and she directed uh, Conrad Roy to, uh, to, um, to suicide. Now, Kurt, this case has national uh, prominence, right? I mean, it's it's a very yes, it high-profile case because basically Michelle Carter was nowhere near Conrad Roy when he killed himself, and she was correct. communicating with words, encouraging him. Although your statute in Massachusetts doesn't use the word encourage, right? Um, right. But the judge did cite a, like a two hundred-year-old case. As yes, precedent. he did. It's um, it's a. Uh, um, a suicide inside a jail uh, where one inmate uh, um, convinced another one to hang himself just hours before the um, the victim was going to be hung any hung anyway. He was going to be basically he got he got capital he punishment. The, correct. He was going to have the death penalty anyway. Uh, really. Yeah, okay. and so, so Michelle Carter was approximately 40 miles away from Conrad Roy um, on July 13, 2014, when he took his own life, and she was nowhere near uh, him. She um, there, she was directing him through words, and and the defense in the closing arguments on Tuesday made a very good case, a uh, very good point. He said that. Um, we don't know why Conrad Roy got out of the truck, um, and we don't know why Conrad Roy went back in the truck. Maybe he intended to go back in the truck all along. But uh, what is clear is that when he was out of the truck, he was out of harm's way, and she did tell him to go back inside the truck, and he goes back inside the truck. And that's what the judge talked Correct. about, right? Right, and the, the interesting thing about this is that um, when this case was heard in uh, New Bedford Juvenile Court, uh, there was a motion to dismiss. Uh, the motion was heard by a judge, uh, Bettina Borders, who's now retired. Um, this was the pivotal moment that she focused on. She uh, focused on that moment when he gets out of the car, and she tells him to get back into the car. Um, I just I spoke with um, uh, Judge Borders a little while ago. She's now retired. Um, she thinks that it's the uh, Judge Monas' decision is a very good one. Uh, she supports it. The other thing that's important is that uh, the defense uh, appealed Judge Borders' decision to the highest court in Massachusetts. Uh, it's called the State Supreme Judicial Court. An appeal was made to a single justice of what we call the SJC. She, instead of hearing it herself, she referred it to the entire seven justices of the SJC. So we had a full panel review. Uh, the uh, the SJC ruled unanimously that there was probable cause in this case, and they sent it back to the courts for tri for trial. But the SJC focused on that moment when he is out of the car and Michelle Carter um, 
tells him to get back in the vehicle. So what I found interesting, and tell me if I have it right, is that the judge said when you create this dangerous situation where you put a person at risk, which he says she did, you ha- it creates a duty. You have a yeah. duty because like, we don't have duties to intervene and uh, act um, unless you're like a parent to a child or a teacher or a doctor. Mm -hmm. You have to have some sort of special relationship. But the judge said under Massachusetts law, if you create this Mm -hmm. dangerous situation, you have a duty to act to try to extricate the person from it. I'm paraphrasing the words. And she had the ability. She had a telephone (laughs) and she had the numbers of his family. Right. And the other thing the judge mentioned is that uh, when he is in the cab, of of this pickup truck, she gives him no further instructions. In other words, get out of the truck, you know, or uh, call nine one one. She doesn't give him any more instructions, and he's uh, the 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 judge's reasoning is that he is obviously at this point under her control. Mm-hmm. Is this um, after he got back in or initially? Um, this is when he gets. Well, I I. The the prosecution has has claimed that uh, she was he was under her control for uh, for quite a period of time leading up to the suicide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, the ACLU, like civil libertarians, are, yep. are really concerned about this criminal. They say it's criminalizing speech, right? That is correct. Yeah. But the former judge you spoke to today thinks this is a solid ruling. Yes, yes, she does. Um, the um, I watched the uh, SJC's hearing when this case was appealed. I watched it online, and the um, SJC just peppered um, the defense with questions, and they they ruled that uh, this was tantamount to yelling fire in a crowded theater. Her saying, "Get back in the truck." And for our listeners here, that's not protected speech. Not all speech. Correct. Not all words are protected by the First Amendment. And yeah. uh, when you endanger people, yelling fire in a crowded theater is always the example. Yeah. Uh, it is not protected. So it comes within that unprotected speech. I was wondering, I mean, obviously she's going to lose, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I think she'll lose her Massachusetts appeals because they've kind of ruled on the merits of the case, right? The facts aren't really in dispute. It's whether or not it's criminal. Um, that is correct. And, and this aspect really gives me the willies, is that, um, before I forget it, um, there was no lesser included offense here. Um, it was either involuntary manslaughter or nothing. Okay. Now, Mich- Michelle Carter faces a maximum of uh, 20 years in state prison. Um, Massachusetts does not have an assisted uh, suicide law. Um, I'm losing my chain of thought here. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, it was something you wanted to mention before you did lose your th- train of thought, but that's okay. Well, <laughs> we can keep moving forward. Do you know if any legislators are th- uh, talking about changing the law? Or, no, uh, I have not. I think that's one of the issues that um, I would um, be looking at in the in the days going forward. Um, yeah. Let me just ask you questions, and maybe this yeah. thought will come back to you, but sure. they hadn't dated all that long, right? And wasn't the relationship mainly virtual in yes, cyberspace no, you're absolutely right uh they uh met i believe it was in um 
February of 2014, or th- no, 13, I believe, they met in Naples, Florida. Um, their respective grandparents were uh, on a winter vacation, and they met each other. But they, um, Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy, were only together uh, somewhere between two and four times. Their entire relationship was online, but I mean, despite that, um, uh, Michelle, there are texts from Michelle where she says, I love you, and I love you, and, um, and I, so I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> It's time for a break. You're listening to Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karis. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras, and I'm speaking to Kurt Brown, a reporter with the Standard Times in New Bedford, Massachusetts, about the Michelle Carter texting suicide case and the controversial verdict. And what was the age difference? She was 17 at the time he died, and he was, what, 18? He was 18. Okay. So they both had psychological problems. And it was, you know, obviously a toxic combination because of uh, what he did. So talk to me about the community. Um, Like, how how did they react to this case when he died, when she was arrested, during the trial? Can you give us a sense? Sure. I think that um, as soon as people started to see the the, uh, texts, I think they just wanted to hang her. Um, I mean, they were just absolutely livid. People were, you know, mad with anger. Um, and uh, I, th- I think a lot of preconceived, no- uh, uh, a lot of impressions were formed very quickly. Um, the uh, Several of the interviews I did in the pretrial stages, um, I talked to retired judges and lawyers, and uh, many of them, failed to see the the causation the uh, and the defense mentioned this in their closing arguments that they said that this was a suicide that it was a homicide um, and no threats were ever made and the people that I talked to said that she lacked the wherewithal because she was forty miles away um, to uh, compel him to get back in the in the truck in their opinion words were not enough. The, the thought comes back to mind. Um, the, the aspect about this case that gives me the willies is that um, she was tried under the homicide statute um, because there is no assisted suicide law in Massachusetts. Um, I think I would have felt, and other people would have felt, much more comfortable if she had been charged with assisted suicide. I, most likely there would have been plea, and this would have been resolved much sooner. And the sentencing wouldn't be, uh, potential sentence wouldn't be so harsh. You're absolutely right. Now, yeah. she, what we are talking, by the way, I should have mentioned this earlier, on June 16th, the day of the verdict in 2017, and she is set to be sentenced on August 3rd. That is correct, yeah. The judge, the judge is giving, go ahead. The judge is giving the probation department time to do a pre sentence report, and right. um, he said that's not public, it's just for the lawyers. But do you yeah. have, um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I had to cough. Do you have that's any okay. um, sense of what this judge might give her? Well, that's a good, that's a, that's a very, very good question. Um, when the trial ended, I, my sense was that the government had proved this case. Uh, it was a close call, but I thought they had proved their case. Um, she has no record whatsoever. 
um, my sense is that um, there'll be light, uh, there'll be light or no incarceration, um, and there'll be heavy court involvement, there'll be counseling, there'll be rehabilitative services. Um, I mean, I could see a suspended sentence, I could see um, six months to a year in jail, then transfer to a halfway house, uh, a lot of court involvement, a lot of court monitoring to try to get this young lady back on the right path. Um, I mean, she has her. She has a long road to go um, to, you know, to get back on the right path in life. Do you know what she was doing um, since her arrest in this case, or since Conrad Roy the Third died in July of 2014? I mean, it's been uh, three years, and um, she's now 20 years old. She did not testify, right? No, she uh, she did not testify. She would have had to face all those texts that uh, she had authored. Um, she, in the immediate aftermath of the of the suicide, she organized a fundraiser for him uh, called Homers for Conrad uh, in her hometown of Plainville, Massachusetts, um, with the proceeds uh, going to uh, Mental Health Alliance. Um, I think they raised, it was testimony they raised between twenty four and $2,500 um, in the fundraiser. Um, there was also testimony that somebody had mentioned um, moving the fundraiser to Fairhaven and Wareham, where most of um, Conrad Roy's friends are. And, and uh, she took, uh, she was upset with this. She said, you're not trying to take my idea, are you? Uh, uh, so she did that, and then, according to the defense, her life has just been on hold. Uh, she cannot apply for college admissions um, while this case is pending. Um, one of the pretrial restrictions was that she could not um, go online except for studying, uh, could not text anybody other than her parents. And, I mean, for somebody who's between the ages of 17 and 20, I mean, this is how most of them live. They live online. They live with texting. They live with uh, the Internet. That's for sure. Yeah. And um, so give us a sense of um, of some of the, the text exchanges. I mean, not just of the suicide, but afterwards. Um. It was very strange testimony that she, in August of 2014, now this is better than a month after she, after Conrad Roy died, she texted Conrad and told him um, how much they raised at the uh, softball benefit. Um, Afterwards? Afterwards, yes. Well, that's a little strange. And then yes, she it sure is. There were incriminating text messages where she's acknowledging to friends that it was her fault and she didn't do anything. Yeah. She didn't try to stop it. Something like that, right? Yes, that is. She said that in the in the text uh, immediately after the the young man died. Um, she um, the day after the body was found. Uh, she communicated via text with um, the young man's mother 
and offered her condolences, but um, never ever mentioning that she was talking to to Conrad over the phone on the night that he died. Well, it must have been heartbreaking to the family to find out all the facts later. Yeah. Does yeah. Michelle Carter have a lot of support? Um, family, friends. Well, I think her. She has family members. Her her family has been in the has been in the courtroom throughout for two years and five months of this case has been uh, in the courts. They've been right behind her. They've been very supportive every step of the way. Her dad and her mom and um, I mean they're just to be commended. They're ex- superb parents. They should be commended for their support. Um, I have not seen uh, uh, many friends. Of hers, the impression that we got uh, from um, the, her friends, or I, I, her, I hesitated using the word friends when I wrote the story. Her her classmates from high school was that she was seen as somewhat of an odd ball, and, may, and maybe this is somewhat unfair because these were witnesses that were picked by the prosecution to testify. Um, they all sensed that something was odd with her. There was one witness who um, was constantly trying to correct uh, Michelle Carter's uh, poor eating habits. Uh, But there was a sense of oddness about it. I recall that they said, or I got a sense that they thought she just really wanted to be liked. You know, she, oh, she was yeah, insecure. You're, you're absolutely right. That was the picture that the uh, prosecution painted. And uh, the prosecution said that this was the motive for it, that she used um, um, Conrad Roy in a sick game of, of life as a pawn and a sick game, sick game of life and death to um, get uh, attention from her classmates. There was an attorney that I was interviewing on Law News Network where I host one day a week, Law News mm-hmm. with a Z dot com that Dan Abrams started. And he's from Boston, mm-hmm. Peter Ellican. And he said, this is in the middle of the trial, that Michelle Carter was like the Jody Arias of Massachusetts. She was really reviled. And she, you know, people were just very, people were divided. She had people who didn't think, as you explained, that. Yeah. It rose to the level of criminal conduct and others who just, you know, were, were disgusted by yeah. her encouraging Conrad Roy III to um, to kill himself. Yeah. Did you get a sense of that division in Bristol County? Um, I, they, I got a sense that people were um, uh, adamantly opposed to her, but I also got a sense that... Um, what she did was was just words. It wasn't action. And the, the the support for her, I sense was was more um, legal. That like somebody said to me today, the question is that everyone will say that she was a cause of Conrad Roy's death, but the question really is was legally was she the cause of his death, 
And I think that's the attitude that a lot of people in the community have. And uh, and I guess that's the attitude her lawyers must have had because they waived a jury and let a judge decide it. I think they took the safe route. Um, they, although I'm not sure uh, um, that it was a wise decision. The, I talked to several defense lawyers today, and they still believe that uh, even though the verdict came out un popular with the defense that uh, it was the right decision to make. It was a safe decision to go jury waive or a bench trial. Oh, because although jurors are instructed that they are not to be influenced by sympathy or other emotions, there's no question that this is an emotional case. And, you know, you just want to shake her and say, why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you call the police or call his family or, you know, why did you do it? Yeah, those jur- those text messages would have played um, very ha- would have played large with the with the jury. So we will definitely be following this. I know the latest issue of People Magazine. Uh, yeah. It's on the cover. Deadly text. Yes, it is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, we are speaking as I said on the day yeah. the judge rendered his verdict. He took a couple of days after the close of evidence. It is June sixteenth, but this this podcast uh, episode will be out there um, long after, and uh, we'll be certainly following this for sentencing, and maybe we'll follow up with you, Kurt. Sure. The, I mean, I would like to just add a few things. Sure. There, um, the One of the prosecutors in, in the case, uh, Katie Rayburn, made a couple of very eloquent remarks uh, speaking with the media. They kept, the prosecutors kept their remarks uh, um pretty short because the case is still going on, but she made the observation that, quote, there were no winners here. Um, we have uh, Conrad Roy, who is dead, and we have Michelle Carter, who is convicted of involuntary manslaughter. And we also have two families, the Roy and the Carter family, that have been turned about and will be affected by this for many, many years to come. The, the other thing that she had mentioned that I, I thought was extremely um, on point was that at the end of the day, this is really about one young man and one young woman brought together by tragic circumstances. And that, in, in her view, that uh, Conrad Roy would be alive today if it was not for the actions of Michelle Carter. Um, the I spoke to um, a um, reverend who's in, a suicide advocate uh, in the greater, greater New Bedford, Massachusetts area, and I told him is, that um, if the if she had been acquitted, he was going to be the first person I called uh, because of the message this would send out um, uh, regarding suicide. He says it's still as important as it is if uh, if she had been. Um, it still is important, even though she, uh, she was convicted. He said that people have to understand that um, if they're hurting, they have to tell somebody. And the person that they tell has to tell a mandated reporter. They have to get that that person directed towards services. So I think that's the final point I would like to make. 
Well, and that's a great point. And a mandated reporter is somebody who has a duty to report so, so the person can be helped. Well, Correct. let me just ask you, because I'm glad you, you brought this up, that uh, the prosecutor had um, a comment to make afterwards. Did Conrad Roy's family speak? They did not. Um, the defense attorney's only comment was that he was dis- uh, disappointed with the outcome, um, uh, but beyond that, he wasn't going to say anything more because the case is still pending. And Michelle Carter's bail conditions continue. She just can't apply for a passport or leave the state without permission. And she has to stay. I was listening to that part. She has to stay away from witnesses, the Roy family. And the judge went through social media. That means Facebook, Snapchat, don't do it through a third party or anything. That's right. No, no contact with the uh, victim. He, uh, the government moved to revoke his, uh, her bail. Um, the defense objected. Um, the defense said that she has made every single court appearance, and she has. I mean, I've gone to, I think, about 95% of them. She's always been there, including uh, an impromptu one. Uh, and so the judge says, well, this case has got an awful long history, and you have been at every court appearance. Um, don't contact the victim. Um, don't obtain a passport, and don't leave the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Those were the three conditions, and he decided not to revoke her bail. So uh, she'll be back in court on August uh, 3rd, uh, and uh, sentencing will be passed on her. And then we will all be watching. So I want to thank you so much, Kurt Brown, for talking to me. This is uh, you've been, again, very generous with your time. It's been a very long day for you. Uh, Kurt Brown is a writer with the Standard Times, a newspaper in New Bedford, Massachusetts. I can't say enough about Massachusetts. I was born there. I lived the first part of my life there, and I love it. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, and I thank you very much for your interest in the case. And I want to thank all of you for listening to this latest episode of Karis on Crime. I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. Post them on Facebook. My page is Beth Karis, or on Twitter, my handle is at Beth Karis. Until the next time, be well.